heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on Monday morning, the 15th of May. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. Big show for everybody this morning. Um, We'll give you that amazing news around Julie's shoot. I'm going to talk about that next. We're going to talk with the new Racing Queensland CEO, Jason Scott, will join us. We're going to catch up with Peter Hall and also Mark Harvey Sutton, who is the Chief Executive of the Australian Livestock Export Exporters Council, Chief Executive. He'll join us as well. It's a big show for you um, and so much to get through. Broncos play on Thursday. We'll preview that. Dolphins and also Cowboys and Titans also playing as well. So there's so much to get through, but we'll give you an update on all the rugby league later in the week. Well done to the Queensland Reds. The first time in a long time they had a win over in New Zealand and they beat the Chiefs who were undefeated. That was a huge result and the Reds obviously very happy with that. So a great win for them and that highlighted a lot of where they're heading as well. So let's get into it. Uh, I want to have a chat next. It was Mother's Day yesterday but it was a special day for many, many bigger reasons than just Mother's Day. Let's get into it. This is Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network, Monday morning, the 15th, the 15th of May. And obviously, the news yesterday morning uh, that everybody wanted to hear. Uh, The Queensland lady that was missing in South Australia's Western Air Peninsula for seven days had been found. Julie Shute from Surratt, who is very well known, had been missing um, for over a week when she walked off from her camp with her husband Clifford and has been found. What a miracle this is. I have a lot of friends down there at the moment and there's a lot of people from Queensland who have been down there helping Clifford and Julie and I got a phone call yesterday morning to say that she'd been found. Uh, The police have obviously made a statement. They made it very clear that they were called just after 8am on Sunday morning after a member of the public Uh, said that they found a person wandering out of the scrub asking for water. The ABC reported, and and this was the statement, that we had a search vehicle nearby. They located the woman and identified her as the missing woman, Julie Shute. She's safe, she's well, and obviously requiring some medical attention. She has been in the scrub for a long time, a week. Julie's brother Todd said the feeling was grateful, so grateful, and the family was just so relieved. It's good to have her back. Todd said his 48-year-old sister was recovering in hospital. She's obviously dehydrated, hasn't eaten or drunk anything for over six days, so she has a little bit of recovery to do. Julie's husband Clifford, and I just feel for Clifford shoot so much, I mean, he'd be beside himself, said she was surprisingly in really good health said the doctors were unsure how long Julie would need to be in hospital for. She's very tired, very sore, and she's done a lot of walking. We just have to see how she recovers. Clifford also thanked the community of Streaky Bay for all their assistance. What an absolute miracle. This has been going on for seven days and it has a positive outcome. And I just can't begin to even describe 
what that would have been like for Clifford, the Shute family, Julie's family. I, I just don't even begin to understand how anybody would even be able to react in that moment. But they didn't lose any hope. They remained strong. They remained loyal. They remained together. And a miracle occurred yesterday. I'm just pleased for, the, for their three boys that they have their mum back and she can get the help that she needs, she can recover and they can get back to being that family that has always been so connected and so strong. A miracle. Doesn't always end up like this. But a great outcome and a great news story to share first up on a Monday morning. It makes me proud to be able to give that news to you considering some of the dreadful things that happened in our state. And I just want to say to everybody, um, thank you for everybody that was concerned. Thank you for – I know a lot of people got in on planes and drove and flew and went to South Australia to help. And I just think that that is just a phenomenal situation. What a Mother's Day gift yesterday. Julie Shute found after missing in South Australia alive – after seven days missing. Wonderful. Let's deviate a little bit and surprise, surprise, the Paradise Lagoon finals have been done. Um, The final of the featured Graham Actor Memorial Open was held on Saturday evening um, with Steve Comiskey, victorious riding Katie on behalf of the owners and the big sponsor Bill Matten Transport finishing with an aggregate 270 points. So he was riding the horse... Uh, owned by the major sponsor. Steve Comiskey has been a previous winner, along with his wife Louise and daughter, featured in multiple places over the weekend. So, well done to Steve Comiskey, a great, great result. Now, the tightly contested Rockhampton Open was taken out by the one and only Ben Hall, riding uh, Chisholm's Cash for 273 points, holding a narrow one-point margin ahead of Matthew Moffat. Ben Hall and Chisholm Cash also claim a title of champion of champions and saw them the winners um, of the Open, the Novices Stadium, the ladies compete for the Joseph Acton Rose Bowl. So they won that. That's how they get to the champions of champions, which is a great result. Jason Lindley and Ben Williamson were forced into a runoff of the Novice A with Mr Lindley victorious on 270 points. Um, Clark Creek competitor uh, Lisa Wallace riding rumour was the popular winner of the ladies with a narrow one-point margin ahead of Jay Hall's um, to finish fourth place. Um, And obviously, what a great result that has been. So Steve Comiskey wins the Graham Actor Memorial. Ben Hall won the Rockhampton Open. The Champions of Champions was won by Ben Hall. The Novice A, sponsored by Elders, Jason Lindley. The Novice B, um, obviously, Steve Comiskey wins the Novice B. The Stallion Draft, um, and that was uh, obviously a great result. Um, Jamie Kresh and the Ladies was won by Lisa Wallace. The Futurity, uh, Scott Shue. The Juvenile um, was won by Riley uh, Elrot. So well done to everybody. Um, well done to everybody involved as Paradise got away another phenomenal phenomenal weekend. Um, the the big thing that we will get out of that is that the camp drafting world is alive and well and obviously there is so much going on in our uh, state at the moment, um, weather prevailing, everything obviously 
continues to roll along. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. We're going to take a break, come back with more on Rural Queensland Today. You're with Ben Dobbin, and it's Monday the 15th of May. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Let's start with Peter Hall, Ag Force Cattle Board President. Peter, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us this morning, mate. Good morning, Ben. Um, Mate, um, I've got to ask you about this. Obviously, last week, the federal government came out with the biosecurity levy and there's been a lot of concern but there's no two ways about it that we our biosecurity needs to be ramped up um now how it gets distributed and who pays and where it comes from that's been the million dollar question well we're starting to get a little bit of an idea that from july 2024 a new levy will be introduced equivalent now to a 10 percent on top of the 2020 2021 levy rates so i've got to ask this I, I didn't realise that we were the only people um, who were needing to have to chip into this. Why are the farmers being targeted like that? A bit of preamble, Ben. Yeah. <clears throat> Obviously, I agree that biosecurity is a is an issue that affects all Australians and all Australians should contribute meaningfully, and there is a fair bit of money goes into biosecurity out of the consolidated revenue purse. Um, why the farmers? I don't know if I can specifically answer that. But as you would probably be as well as aware as I am, for the last 20 years, we've been getting conditioned pretty well that whenever a budget gets handed down, the Department of Ag, either at the state or the federal level, seems to be then blind, and it's one that costs the cup. So we've basically been getting conditioned into the space that, you know, if we want a meaningful biosecurity, we've probably got to be prepared to um, kick into the bucket a bit ourselves to make it happen. There's so, no two ways about that. I absolutely agree with that. Do you think that? Do you think that this is the right way to go? And I mean that. Like, so the, the split at the moment, right? And 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 I'm talking to the converted here. I understand that importers will contribute forty five percent, right? Taxpayers pay forty four. Online yep. shoppers have been hit as well um, for items under a thousand. And yep. th- that'll be roughly you know forty cents to an item, and obviously yep. then. We've got Australia Post and the rest of it, you know, we, we'll have to pick up. So it makes it farmers will only con- contribute 6%. Like 6% overall, I understand that, it, you know, things are getting tight, but I just look at the golden ball and say, well, okay, what happens if it? What happens if we actually get to a point where there is a outbreak or a biosecurity breach? Do you know what I mean? Like so in, in, the, whole, in the whole scheme of things, it's 6%. Is it that really that much overall? Well, a uh, personal view here, Ben, I haven't... No, not for talking on behalf of the board. <clears throat> yeah, I get that. Yeah. I just think that this is an opportunity we need to grab with both hands. We yep. don't often get <clears throat> get the, as I call it, the stars are lying up here that industry can have some meaningful input in, into getting a framework in place that might actually deliver some some decent funding for some biosecurity measures. And as as the cattle industry, quite often we see gaps that we need we need you know you see the holes that need plugging pretty pretty quickly, and to get the funding for that, you've got to go cap in hand either the state departments or the or the federal department, and it takes a fair bit of time. If we could actually use this opportunity to, and I've got a tongue in cheek comment here, but if you know if we could use this opportunity to basically get our money geared towards establishing our own biosecurity fund. Well, I think that would be really meaningful, and I think every producer would support that, that we had something somewhere that we could actually dip into every year and deliver on some outcomes that we see a bit of benefit to our industry. And a couple of things that spring straight to mind is we used to have a, have a, a network 
called the Livestock Biosecurity Network that was meant to educate producers around the country about biosecurity and train people up how to handle exotic disease outbreaks. Well, it fell over through lack of funding. So something like that would be ideal to kick some extra money straight back into this to ramp up and get going again. So there's opportunities everywhere if we could have our access to our own funding. So I'm, I'm a supporter of it as long as industry can have input in how the funds get utilised. Yeah, and, and that's um, that, that's the biggest thing about it. They've got to have some input, which I, I, I think with Murray Watt, I think that there is. Like how – how would the how would the new levy work in the sense that you know like how do, how do you think it I mean for twelve in twelve months time it looks in your opinion? Oh, the current proposed is ten percent. So we've got a we've got a levy review being undertaken currently, so to conclude by next year. And if we push for an increase in levy for certain aspects, whether it's more for R and D or more for marketing or whatever the case may be, more geared towards Animal Health Australia. If we push for well, then the ten percent come in on top of that. I have I have a personal view that would probably be far easier to manage if we just decided on a flat rate. So currently it's fifty cents, whether it be fifty cents, seventy cents, a dollar, whatever to go into a biosecurity fund, I think would be far better off and it'd be less less hiccups. Yeah. Um, as and, I Yeah, and the the big thing is that, you know, we want to make sure that it's fully transparent. Do you, do you like the container levy? Do you do you like what that is? I think the concept <clears throat> has a great deal of merit, but I also understand that there are probably concerns around whether it could be seen as some sort of import tariff, i.e. a trade. Yeah. And I think that process has got to be worked pretty, pretty carefully. But I certainly should be contributing towards biosecurity, and the containers themselves are certainly a very real risk. Yeah, no question. there's no two ways about it, and they come from every angle. Um, it's just the biggest thing, and, and look, in, in you're talking, on, Peter, you're talking on behalf of yourself, not on behalf of the board. I understand that at the moment, and I, I think everybody listening to us today absolutely see this as a real opportunity, and very rarely how, do we get these kind of opportunities, and this is one that we can really make a difference with. Getting a seat at the table with this, is that a, a, a real possibility? We know we've got other – there's other – um, now lobby groups and advocacy groups that are a part of a part of the fabric. Is AgForce going to be able to have a seat at this table when they do that? And, and are you confident that they can have some input? <clears throat> well, AgForce will be part of our, and I guess you call them parent organisation, parent organisation, national organisations, whatever. AgForce is part of NFF. Cattle Board is a part of Cattle Australia. And that's where the negotiations will be happening at, at that level. And I am reasonably confident that Cattle Australia will be heavily involved in these conversations and and will be pushing for oversight. And well, I shouldn't say oversight, but be part of the process of understanding how this funding is distributed. Because I don't think anyone would support it that just disappears straight into consolidated revenue. We we need to have input in it. Um, you did talk about this opportunity. Some years ago when we had the BJD issue happening in Queensland, we tried pretty hard to establish a state-based biosecurity levy. Yep. And we ran into roadblocks at the level because we had to use the, the, the levy going to be virtually impossible to do it. Yep. An opportunity where all of Australia can become involved in something. And I just, I absolutely think we need to grab it with both hands and work out how to 
best work for us. Well, I agree with you 100%, Peter. Um, the biosecurity levy, this is an opportunity and a line in the sand where the government have said, right, you can be a part of it. I really appreciate your time this morning and thanks so much for being with us. Very good. Thanks, Ben. Good on you. Peter Hall, uh, Ag Force Cattle Board President, making some really valid points about this. Uh, this is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. We're going to take a break, come back with more. Across Rural Queensland Today, you're with Ben Dobbin on Monday morning, the 15th of May. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Ben Dobbin with you this morning, and it's my pleasure to have the new Racing Queensland CEO, Jason Scott, joining us this morning. Um, if you haven't and don't know his pedigree, it's elite. Um, former CEO of Ladbrokes, he's been over uh, in the United States as the Vice President of Training VIP of Retail Operations for Bet MGM. He knows this like the back of his hand, and if ever racing needed the shot in the arm and to move forward, they've gone and got their right man. Jace, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate the kind words. Nice introduction. Mate, um, you've been a part of this industry. You know it like the back of your hand. You understand how it works. You understand how it works. And we're right in the middle of um, the Winter Carnival, so it's a it's a time where the best horses come to Queensland. But the the overall state of racing in Queensland, it, it, it's been like a roller coaster. We have our good moments. We have our bad moments. But all in all, we're starting to become – a bigger player in it, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think we have we have sort of seen over the last 10, 15 years across the three codes a little bit of a roller coaster where things are successful. And look, I, my job here isn't to come in and say that I compete with Melbourne, Sydney. You know, they've got their own racing. They do things their way. We've got the Queensland way. But what my job is to make sure as we get a hell of a lot closer to those states in terms of experience for the for the participants in terms of prize money, in terms of getting people to the races, people enjoying the races when they get there. And there's no reason we shouldn't be much closer to, to those states than we currently are. And uh, the bush is a huge part of that. There's so many of the Queensland racing champions, that's where they come from, trainers, jockeys and horses. Well, the Battle of the Bush has been something that um, has been absolutely paramount to um, underpin it. And, and obviously... It got underway in April, but the race meetings are starting now, and obviously it, it, the finals are at, at Tats Day, Tats Tiara Day on the 26th of June, but it's a very important part, um, the, the bush racing scene, and now it's something that you guys are focusing on. So the schedule obviously goes all the way to the middle of June, but we've got we've got an unbelievable um, racing carnival at the moment, and so there's still more races in Queensland to be had and a big opportunity to bring the horses to Brisbane. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, we're still within the battle of the bush. I think the carnival here has extended. And, you know, I, I consider the carnival not just what we see in Brisbane. We finish in the city, we go to Ipswich, we go to Sunny Coast, and then, you know, we go up to places like um, Townsville where their carnival's on, you know, on the back of this. And I think that, that needs to be considered part of our overall carnival and opportunity for, for trainers and horses from everywhere. Jason, uh, it's a big job. Gee whiz, it's got some problems in, in different areas. I mean, there's an unbelievable Greyhound facility being built built just outside of Ipswich at Yamanto. That's going to be world class, and that's going to be the hub for it. But the government are in and out of this, um, and I'm not in any way, and, and I, I'm not in any way trying to push government agendas or anything like that. But one minute they want the revenue, the next minute they don't. The me- next minute, you know, you, you're not getting as much. I mean, consistency. When you look at other states and what's going on there. 
Um, they can't have it both ways. Um, is that the biggest challenge to try and get them on the same page? I think it is the biggest challenge, but I also think right now, uh, with the, the point of consumption tax changes that were brought in uh, middle of last year, late last year, and, and the revenue, 80% of that is coming back to racing. Yep. So that gives yep. us an opportunity. And, you know, we've got some fairly big pieces of infrastructure happening now. We're doing putting lights on it at, uh, at the Gold Coast. We're, you know, you mentioned the Greyhound track. We've got the harness track in the bush. Uh, Townsville, we're, we're looking at, you know, the stables being there, lights are being considered. Uh, there's Greyhound tracks being considered elsewhere. So so it's not going to, the money isn't just going to stay in the city. It's going to pass through the country. We're doing a lot of work at Charter Towers Racetrack at the moment to get that up to scratch. Yep, scratch. yep. So we've got that money. What we need to do is show we use it properly so that that tap doesn't get turned off. And, you know, there's, there's also the risk of a federal of a state election next next year that could change. But right now, I think uh, Grace Grace has been a fantastic minister and she's supporting us really well. Yeah, you, you're right with Grace. Um, going forward, um, and you're right about infrastructure, the bush is always – we've seen some prize money come up with – We've seen, um, you know, increase in prize money in the bush as well. That's going to go hand in hand, um, obviously, with the Outback Racing Showcase um, that, that, that is, is taking place at the moment with the Battle of the Bush. Is it a year-on-year thing? Is that how you work it? Like you just go, right, oh, well, this year we're going to try and this will be the funding we give to the bush. And, and you want to see the country picnic race meetings and all those race meetings have their day. I mean, Longreach, for Longreach to have a Monday TAB race meeting, it was just phenomenal this year, like just a, a phenomenal situation, unheard of, but they were the only place racing um, in Queensland for the day, which, you know, the, the, the naysayers will say, oh, well, but, mate, that's never happened in a long, long time. And they're the kind of initiatives that Racing Queensland are trying to bring back to obviously give people their own day, give some of these centres that never have a TAB race meeting in a field, like so that you get the better horses there. Yeah, look, I think that's where we're different to some of the other states. I mean, I had no, no idea until I was in the process of going through an interview for this role that there's 124 race clubs in Queensland. Yep. Now, of those, over 100 are non tab but if we can convert some of the, the larger non-tab meetings to tab meetings, well, that brings money not only into, into racing Queensland, but into the club. Uh, so that, that's a huge opportunity. We want to see all of those 124 clubs prosper. And, you know, it's difficult. We're, we're, you know, a lot of the times we're only racing once a year. and We've got to upkeep, you know, things like barriers, photo finishes, towers, et cetera, sure. et cetera. So, and that's where the volunteers in the towns have been absolutely spectacular. But... I'm committed to that, to getting more money into that. And look, to be let's be blunt, the only way we make real money is two ways. One's from the government handout, two's from wagering turnover. Wagering turnover is something I've been working in the last 15 years, and we need us to make more money, and, and that really does start in the city. If we can get more money out of Eagle Farm Zoom and out of the carnivals and getting more people betting on Queensland racing, both in Queensland and nationally, we've got more money for the bush. Yeah. So that's the plan. And to answer your question whether we're looking at one year at a time, no. Uh, perhaps I'm not, I'm not going to comment on what's happened previously, but no, we need sort of three, five-year plans. It's the sort of work that we need to do. It's not something you can do overnight. So, so we'll develop a three, five-year plan and, and, and tip the money in that way. 
Yeah, they're in good hands, uh, Racing Queensland. Um, I can tell you right now, uh, for people that don't know Jason, you will meet him. And, mate, you will get out to the bush. There's, there's no two ways. You love it. 100%. You will be on the road. The, the people, that you you will see him. Don't you worry about yeah. that. Yeah, and, and that's part of the – it's in your DNA to travel, mate, and obviously go and see these, get a feel for it, um, get your hands dirty and see what's going on in these parts of the world where there are obviously some people and, – and you talk about upgrades – it's, it's a really simple thing. You want to see Racing Queensland be the, at the forefront, the number one, and that's across the state. It's just not in Eagle Farm and Doombin. That's where it starts, but it all filters out from there. And if that gets done right, well, then everything gets done right moving forward. 100%, and that's exactly right. We've, there's sort of two ends. It's, it's the one track, other tracks that have one meeting years and the tracks that have 80 meetings a year or different race club across Eagle Farm and Doombin have 83 at the moment. But we've got to get it all right because if one's not working, the other doesn't prosper. No, well said. No, new racing CEO of Queensland, uh, Jason Scott, appreciate your time this morning, mate. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it, mate. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. It's the 15th of May. Um, as the weather starts to change and, um, you know, obviously there's a lot going on in the export world. We just talk, spoke with Peter Hall. Obviously, the biosecurity levy is something that's obviously very, very uh, front and centre at the moment. But the live export job as well um, is something that we're looking at. Live exporters say they are able to um, to correct within days an animal welfare issue uh, raised in footage of Indonesian abattoirs supplied to the federal government by the animal rights groups. Um, the Department of Ag... Agriculture has released its findings from an investigation of footage from activist groups, uh, People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, shot two years ago. Now, it found there had been breaches of the Australian Animal Welfare Regulatory Requirements, the Exporter Supply Chain Assurance System, but determined the corrective actions implemented were enough to prevent their reoccurrence. Mark Harvey Sutton, good morning. How are you, mate? No, very well, Dobbo. How are you? Firstly, mate, I... I, I and I say this, and I've said this so many times, the, the live export industry is paramount to, to the beef industry here in Australia. We, we actually need it. It underpins so much of what we're doing for the north and different markets. But I can tell you this now. We, the, the, the biggest threat we have, we talk about biosecurity, the biggest threat is these extreme groups, um, pe- groups like um, people for the ethical treatment of animals who are going on site and looking for something. Now, there's no two ways about it. Um, the footage that was released was horrific. But that didn't come from you. That didn't come from Australian exporters. But what you have done is put in more regulations, more standards, and held more people accountable so this kind of stuff never happens again because you don't condone it. That's exactly right, Ben. We don't condone it. And I think uh – very important to put this this circumstance into context. So this footage was obtained two years ago, uh, and it was actually Australian Livestock Exporters Council, ALEC, us, uh, that went public with it for the first time. Uh, and this was after it was brought to our attention by the regulator. Uh, the unfortunate bit about it was that uh, the footage actually came from PETA, uh, but the other thing to remember here is Indonesia was probably the worst affected country in the world with COVID at the time. So it wasn't as easy uh, for exporters to have people at these facilities. Uh, and, you know, two years on, we have the conclusion from the department. Uh, there were issues in there that we can't walk away from. 
but overall, I am pleased to report that they were addressed immediately by the exporters, and that's really important. It just shows that uh, we don't have a tolerance for this sort of issue uh, and that things are rectified straight away. It's always been that way as well, um, obviously by yourself and, and others. Can I ask you? Can I ask you this? And and it's one thing to regulate. How do you police it every single day? Like, I mean, th- that's like you know, and one bad egg doesn't make a whole the whole the whole thing. You know, like it, you can't always be held to blame. The whole industry be pinned on one um, abattoir, one thing that goes wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like we've seen that before. That kind of knee jerk reaction. And you know what? Um, it, it's it's pretty poor when that kind of stuff happens, very poor, but your whole industry can't be put on notice every single time something like this happens. No, but we do have to maintain high standards. I mean, Peter gave us 200 hours of footage. I watched all 200 hours, Dobbo, when I got it, uh, when we received it. And look, out of those 200 hours, there was one issue that uh, was pretty bad. That was where an animal... Um, the stunning had gone incorrectly uh, and the avatar workers were trying to stand it up again. But, you know, watching it, I couldn't see any uh, malicious intent to cause cruelty. There were issues that did um, cause cruelty to animals, there's no doubt about that. But uh, what I saw was a slipping in the standards, uh, which is pretty understandable in one sense when you think about what Indonesia was going through at the time. Um, and, you know, I, I unfortunately, Petar, two years later, are seeking to get further mileage out of something that we went public with first. Um, and pleasingly, uh, the Department of Agriculture's taken a pretty pragmatic view uh, to this issue uh, in, in its final report. And I think it's a pretty uh, well-balanced report uh, in the scheme of things. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you. This industry's on a knife's edge in a lot of ways. Um, talking to people in the north with the cattle market coming down, there's an 80 to 90% calving rates at the moment, um, pregnancy rates in the north, unbelievable season. A lot of Brahmin cattle uh, are going to come forward on the market and calves next year. We're going to see a, a big run of them. We need this live export market to be strong and we need it to, to obviously be active because of that. Now, we've seen – a downturn in the market at the moment, um, and things are relatively cheap. And it, you know, it's obviously a roller coaster, the, the beef job. But are you worried? And 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 are you really aware of just just the enormity of how important it is to keep this live export job going over the next couple of years? Oh, every day, every yeah. day, I'm aware of it, Dobbo. It's, yeah. uh, I tell you what, if there's that many cars coming on, I think there are a few exporters that might want to keep their eye on those. I mean, you're right; volumes have gone down. Uh, over the last couple of years. But it's important to remember that there wasn't a lot of supply on the market over the last few years either, and prices have been quite high. A number of our markets can be price sensitive. Uh, But the one thing that hasn't gone away through the whole period is uh, those markets looking for our livestock. So I'm very confident that, you know, things will pick up again. Uh, A bit of softening of the price wouldn't hurt, but... uh, you know, that, that shouldn't be to the detriment of our producer friends either. But there is a balance there. Uh, and there are ebbs and flows that happen with the market. So, and equally, uh, I know you point to the importance to the north and the northern cattle industry. Uh, I think our Western Australian friends 
would be looking to the sheep industry in much the same context. So every day I'm aware of that, Ben, there's a, there's a lot on the line yeah. um, and we need to keep defending it. That's simple as that. Where are we at with the banning of live sheep export? The Labor government, you know, they're just on a mission to try and, you know, bow to the Greens. Are you getting any headway there at all? Oh, look, there's a panel that's consulting at the moment um, that, that was stood up by Minister Watt, and they're consulting on how to implement the phase out of live sheep. Of course, we're not looking at it in that perspective. We're taking it as an opportunity to argue why the policy is wrong and why it should be changed. But a couple of weeks ago in the West, Dobbo, there were a number of meetings that were uh, I guess, uh, intended to be small uh, private meetings with producers, uh, which gave people the incorrect impression about what this panel was trying to do. And, and quite frankly, uh, people felt disenfranchised. And we saw this groundswell. We saw hundreds of producers uh, attend these town hall meetings. And, you know, uh, in, in interacting with the panel since then, uh, they were uh, quite moved by it because what people were saying is this is going to affect our businesses, it's going to affect our livelihoods, our small towns might shut, our schools might shut. Uh, you know, this is how serious it is. And uh, I think uh, the panel were quite, uh, in the end, grateful that they had the opportunity to actually hear those stories because I'm not sure they would have otherwise. But we've got a long way to go. Uh, we've got a number of submissions to make. That panel is due to report in September and then there's a lot of work that happens after that as well because once the panel reports, it's up to the minister what he does next uh, and we are just continue to implore him to change that policy. Yeah, well said. Mark, great to chat this morning, mate. I know how busy you are. really appreciate your time. No, always a pleasure, Dobbo. Take care, mate. Good on you. We'll talk again shortly. Mark Harvey Sutton, um, the boss of live export uh, here in Australia. And I tell you what, he does an unbelievable job um, as the Queen Australian Livestock Exporters Council Chief Executive Officer. He absolutely is front and centre for this job and making sure that the needs, the concerns and the absolute um, safety of this industry is at the forefront. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today on this Monday morning, the 15th of May. Halfway through May, eh? Unbelievable. Uh, We will be back tomorrow morning. Ray Hadley joins you next. And remember, when the wheat is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Thank you so much for everything that you guys do in Queensland for us. We love giving you the latest on all the information around this state and much, much more. It's been a big day uh, and a big show and there was a miracle taking place yesterday. So good as well. So till next time, stay safe on the roads from Ben Dobbin, Myself and all the team here at Rural Queensland today, it's bye for now.